This is the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. This is the gospel of the Lord. This past week I had one of those show up naked, unprepared at the exam dreams, but for preachers. I, I dreamt that I had been invited to preach at a very large and impressive Presbyterian church. And if you ever know what those look like, you know that they can be very large and impressive and, and intimidating. But I was invited to guest preach. And uh, I usually carry my sermon notes in a brown manila folder. And so I walked up to the podium and I dressed myself to these thousands of Presbyterians and I opened up my manila folder to find a bunch of transparencies that didn't go together. And the last time I used transparencies was 20 years ago. And uh, so I panicked because I realized I didn't have a sermon and I had transparencies and there was no overhead projector anywhere in the building. This time, I am not going to be tricked. I have them here. They're in my Bible. I know what I'm looking at. Some of you know that I was raised uh, a missionary kid in Guatemala. I had a very happy experience as a missionary. We lived, I lived there until I was 13. Uh, had a, I love church. I love going to church. I love my school. I love my school friends. Uh, moved to the States when I was 13. That was a little bit of a traumatic experience, but then we moved to a small town in Arkansas, and I had an extraordinarily happy teenage high school experience, which I know is unusual, but it's largely due to the fact that I had these guy friends that we did everything together and we loved each other well, including spiritually. My first year uh, of college, I went to a Bible college, had a wonderful experience, and then I transferred to the University of Texas, where from the summer of, uh, let's see, 91, from June to August, I lost my faith. Almost like losing your keys. I just couldn't find it anywhere. And uh, I began my... Uh, sophomore year at the University of Texas and realized I didn't believe any of it. I didn't believe the Trinity. It was very confusing to me. I didn't believe Jesus was the only way to God. That felt offensive to me. I didn't believe the Bible. It was full of contradictions. And I did not believe the church, which repeatedly disappointed my friends and myself. 
And I know I'm not alone these days in walking away from Jesus. According to the Pew Research Center, in the last five years, the religiously unaffiliated have increased to 20% of U.S. adults. That's one-fifth of all Americans who identify either as atheist, agnostic, or nothing. According to the Barna Group, uh, teenagers no longer find the term atheist a dirty word. For many of them, it's a positive step forward to walk away from God. Do you also wish to leave is the question that Jesus asks in our passage today. It's the question that Jesus poses not just to his disciples many years ago in a galaxy far away, and not just to people who are struggling with their faith, but in fact, Jesus poses this question to you and to me today. It's our question for today in our sermon series where we are looking at the questions that Jesus asks. Our text is John 6, 67. And there are two points that I would like to make today. The first point is this, that Jesus welcomes all your questions. There's in fact no question that he does not welcome. And the second point is that Jesus answers all your questions with one basic answer, which I'll tell you at the end. In our passage today, the people ask Jesus six questions. The questions range from the seemingly benign to the combative. Jesus, in turn, asks his disciples only one question of consequence. Do you want to leave? Now, to get a sense of the exchange that takes place between Jesus and the people in John 6, let me offer a couple of comments on what takes place right before it. In John 6, 1-15, Jesus feeds the 5,000. Now, what's significant for us about this miracle is the fact that while Jesus gives the people more than enough, the text tells us, it becomes clear in our passage that it isn't enough for the people. They want something more, and they want something else. It is also clear that they do not understand the meaning of the miraculous sign. Believing that Jesus is the prophet, and by that they mean the prophet, they seek to make Jesus king by force. The people expect Jesus to be one thing. He insists over and over again that he is something else, something fantastically better and decidedly more demanding, but it's not what they want. In the episode that follows, in verses 16 to 24, we find Jesus walking on water. Of note for us is the terror that the disciples experience when they see Jesus doing the impossible. They think they know who he is, but they don't, they realize. It's like Mrs. Beaver says to Susan in the line, the witch in the wardrobe. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or just silly. At this point in our text for today, the day after these two episodes, the people go looking for Jesus in the city of Capernaum, which is across the lake from where he had fed them near Bethsaida. And here, the people ask Jesus, their first question. In John 6.25, the people ask, Rabbi, when did you get here? It's a curiously generic question. But Jesus sees that there's actually a question behind their question. And he answers their question by not answering their question. You've come looking for me, not because you saw God in my actions, but because I fed you, filled your stomachs, and for free. 
His answer exposes their true desires. His answer also involves a very direct invitation to see him as he truly is. In 628, the people ask, what must we do to do the works God requires? This time, Jesus answers their question straightforwardly. The work of God is this, to trust in the one he has sent, to throw your lot in with him wholeheartedly. In 630, the people ask a third question. What miraculous sign will you give that we may see it and believe you? It's as if they were saying, show us another sign to prove yourself to us, but a better one this time. Not bread just from earth, but bread from the skies, like the manna that our ancestors ate in the desert. Make it a good one this time. Jesus answers by offering the people something preposterous. You don't need a loaf of bread that falls from the stars, he tells them. You need the one who comes down from heaven. And the people say, where do we find him? And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Come to me and you'll never be hungry. Trust me and you'll never be thirsty. And this gets the people worked up and they ask what I think is a perfectly reasonable question. Are you Joseph's son? We know where your people come from. You're a northerner from Galilee. What in God's name do you mean by saying that you come down from heaven? This is their fourth question. Jesus again answers their question by not answering their question. He reminds them of the things that God the Father can do, which in fact always exceeds their capacity to imagine. He reiterates that he's the bread of life, comes straight from the source of life. You want bread from heaven, he asks? That's me. This flesh and blood self, eat this bread and you will live forever. At this point, the people ask their fifth question. What in the Sam Hill are you talking about? If you've ever seen the movie where the members of the English parliament break out into one of their classic larger-than-life tantrums, hollering at each other across the room, shaking their fists and their pamphlets at each other like a bunch of unhinged toddlers, you'll know something similar was going on at this point in our text. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? To which he says, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. And like Ron Weasley said to Harry Potter many, many times in their adventures at Hogwarts, the people say, have you gone mental? For one, Leviticus 7 is absolutely clear that we are forbidden to eat the blood of any creature on earth. Anyone who partakes of it shall be cut off from the community. And you're asking us to eat your blood. For another, what you're saying is impossible. To eat your flesh and to drink your blood, we would have to kill you. Or God would have to make it miraculously possible for us to eat your flesh and drink your blood. The whole thing for the people is outlandish and offensive and profoundly disorienting. And it is at this point that the text tells us that they ask their final question. John 6, 60. This is a difficult teaching. It's too much. Who can accept it? Jesus addresses his disciples now directly, trying to help them understand what is at stake, but he seemingly fails. The text tells us that from this time on, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. They no longer followed him, his disciples. It's easy perhaps to imagine Jesus using a frustrated voice, laying into his disciples for their refusal to trust him. 
I would like to believe he uses a gentle voice, one that beckons them to trust him when he turns to the 12 and asks, do you also wish to leave? Peter responds for the 12 when he says, Lord, to whom else shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Do you want to leave? Do you want to leave? Do you also want to leave? Do you want to leave? Do I want to leave? It's a question that Jesus asked you and me today. But before I move on in my sermon, let me point out a couple things about Jesus' exchange with the people that I think deserve our attention. First, Jesus does not shut the people down. Not at any point in his exchange with them. No matter how self-indulgent their questions may be or ignorant or belligerent, he never shuts them down. He continues to welcome their questions. And you may have grown up in a home where your questions were shut down, but I would like to tell you today that Jesus is not that way. He welcomes all your questions. No matter how weird or poorly formulated they may be, Jesus welcomes all your questions. Why? Because it is the way that he loves you. Second, what he says to the people is, in fact, a hard teaching. The people's response is completely understandable. And it's how we would have likely responded if we had been there. And it's an exchange that will likely be repeated in one form or another throughout our whole life of faith. Dear friends, each of us has a moment in our life with God that provokes the response, this is hard. This is hard. I don't know if I can accept it. It may be an experience of tragedy when we ask how a good God can allow evil in the world. It may be a traumatic experience of abuse at the hands of someone that you've trusted. It may be an experience of the absolute silence of God in your life. Or it may be the very audible voice of God telling you to sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Each time these things happen, Jesus appears before us and says the same thing. Trust me. Trust me. Each time we will feel like he has not answered our questions, he says, trust me. And if you stick with Jesus, it will be because you too find yourself saying, to whom else will we go? You have the words of life. And my sermon could legitimately end with Peter's words, as most sermons do on this passage. But I think it would be fair to, unfair to you, and I think it would be unfair to the text, and I think it would be unfair to Peter to end here. Over and over, the people want one thing from Jesus. Over and over, Jesus keeps giving them something else, something better, something truer. Over and over, you find yourself asking Jesus your questions. Over and over, Jesus keeps answering your questions by not really answering your questions, at least not fully. And this brings me to my second point, that Jesus answers all your questions in one basic way throughout John's gospel. And we find that answer at the beginning and at the end of the gospel. And let me suggest to you that there's nothing coincidental about the very first thing that comes out of Jesus' mouth and the very last thing that comes out of Jesus' mouth in John's gospel. In John 1, Jesus encounters two of John the Baptist's disciples. Jesus turns and sees them following and says to them, what do you seek? And they say, Rabbi, where are you staying? 
And they say, and he says, come and see. At the end of the gospel in chapter 21, Peter is bothered by the fact that John is following them on the beach. <laughs> Peter turns to Jesus and says, Lord, what about him? <clears throat> Jesus answers, what about him? Whatever happens to him is not any business of yours. Your business is to follow me. And like Peter, we too want to know what Jesus is going to do about so-and-so, about that person and that group and that family and that church. And Jesus gives us the same answer. It's not your business. Your business is to follow me. All throughout John, Jesus says the same thing over and over. Trust me, follow me. Trust me, follow me. Dear friends, what I'd like to underscore about our story today is that Jesus gives no answers at a distance. You have to keep walking with him on the way to hear the answers to your questions. Jesus also only gives so much to spectators. He welcomes any and all, even those who stand at the margins of faith, because his welcome is a generous and expansive one, but he gives so much more to those who come close, to those who lean in. As the New Testament sees that the hard teachings of Jesus don't stop that day in Capernaum, they keep happening. Throughout the stories in the book of Acts, in the prisons and in the palaces of the palace, powerful, right to the very end of the book of Revelation with all its mysteries and martyrs and down to the centuries and today, the year of our Lord, 2019. And to the saints throughout the ages and to you and me today, Jesus says the same thing. He says, trust me, follow me. When I was in college, I left at the University of Texas. After two years away from the Christian of faith, reading books, lots of books, asking lots of questions, struggling with my doubts, I came to a place finally where I felt like Peter, Jesus, you have life and I want more of it. All my questions hadn't been answered, of course, and my doubts hadn't disappeared altogether and I had learned to doubt my doubts, but I knew enough, I knew enough that I wanted to follow Jesus again. And I did, wholeheartedly, but not really. Because I was still afraid of God in my heart. I was afraid that he would disappoint me and hurt me. And so I followed Jesus with my mind and with my body, but not fully with my heart. And it took another decade full of counseling sessions and the wounds from friends that can be trusted to get to the place that I could trust God emotionally and follow him with my whole heart. And this is the second place that I could end my sermon by telling you that after years of struggle in my heart, I learned to trust and follow Jesus. But if I ended here, I think I'd be dishonest with you and with the text because I still struggle. My personality, I'm driven to achieve. I feel great about myself when I accomplish things. But because my heart is broken on account of sin, I never know when it's enough. I never know when to stop. I never know when to call it quits, to rest, to believe that it's good enough. Because I believed a lie in my heart. And the lie is this, that in this part of my personality, I live in an economy of scarcity, where there isn't enough time, there isn't enough energy, there aren't enough resources, there isn't enough to accomplish, and at bottom, 
I don't believe there's enough God for me. And like the people in our passage, I have seen Jesus make an abundance of bread in this part of my life. But I still think it's not enough. And I won't feel like I'm worth something if I actually rested and spent more time with family and friends if I ceased this demented drivenness. So I want to trust Jesus. I do. I want to be rescued from this economy of scarcity that makes this part of my life a sin-infected, fear-marked part of me. And I want to be brought into Jesus' economy of abundance. But here's what I thought about this week. I want to choose to trust him. I want to follow him. But if I really think at the end of the day that it all depends on me, I think I've misunderstood this text. Jesus says, trust me. Jesus says, follow me. But you know what else he says? I'm the bread of life. And this is what I offer you. If you make a meal of me, you'll taste life like you've never tasted it before. And what's curious to me about this metaphor of eating and drinking is how visceral it is. You can't eat in the abstract. You have to take it in your body, in your mouth. You have to consume it, all of it. And so I hear Jesus yet again offering himself to me today now at this moment, and I don't know if I want the kind of bread he's offering me to cure this part of my heart. Will it satisfy me? Is this the part of my life where I will always say, do you wish to leave? And the answer is yes. I do want to leave because I don't trust you. And so I love Jesus, and I love him wholeheartedly. I want to follow him the rest of my life, but not quite. And I hear him saying to me yet again, trust me, David, you're going to be okay. Follow me, all of it. Take and eat. This is the bread that will truly satisfy you. And it's the word that I leave with each of you today. Whatever it is in your life that you feel like you're struggling with, it's the one part that tucked away inside of you that you say to yourself, yes, I'm leaving. Everything else, I'm following. This part of me, no, and I want to say to you, hear the words of Jesus today. Trust me. Follow me. Take and eat. This is the bread that will truly satisfy you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. And what I'd like to do now is to end as Peter ended his sermon last week with a chance for silence for you to be done hearing me speaking and for you to hear the voice of Jesus speaking to you. This is an image by an artist named Jim Janknett. You see the uh, feeding of the people in the uh, manna in the desert and you fee see them, Jesus feeding the 5,000. And in the middle, there's an image of Jesus feeding the 12. And so I invite, invite you to meditate on this prayerfully and to ask God to speak to you a word that you need to hear this day.